0: So if you look at the volume of carbon, so just carbon dioxide, CO2, carbon with two oxygen atoms, the volume of gas is actually really big. It's 27 feet by 27 feet by 27 feet. So just a giant 27 foot cube. What that means is, imagine it's just like a cube full of telephone poles. Like that's how big the volume of gas of a single ton of carbon is.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Product Explain, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee.
0: And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Jeff, when you think of carbon, what do you think?
1: I think of charcoal. Just like a big lump of charcoal God damn it, or a Jeff. whole field of charcoal. God damn it. <laughs> or trees, dead trees, bones.
0: Death. Death just destruction.
1: <laughs> Today's show we're talking about Ren, a carbon offset startup.
0: Yeah, well, let me take a step back. So, first off, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I'm super passionate about sustainability and climate change and that's what this episode will focus on. So, a lot of a lot of this will be mic filibustering. So, Jeff, give like hand wave at <laughs> I'll me mute, I'll zoom. mute my mic and <laughs> Yeah. Mute me, um, give like throw something at me but let me know. But I think carbon is kind of a nebulous term that doesn't really have a ton of value. Like, Jeff, you thought of charcoal for a grill or charcoal, just not like carbon how I think about carbon, but One of my favorite ways to describe what carbon is, is from the MIT technology review, where they explain what a ton of carbon is. So if you look at the volume of carbon, so just carbon dioxide, CO2, carbon with two oxygen atoms, the volume of gas is actually really big. It's 27 feet by 27 feet by 27 feet. So just a giant 27 foot cube. What that means is, imagine it's just like a cube full of telephone poles. Like that's how big the volume of gas of a single ton of carbon is? Um, How much does it weigh? It weighs as much as a great white shark. That doesn't really mean anything to me because I have never picked up a great white shark before, but (laughs) kind of gives you a scale of like how big this ton of carbon dioxide is. It's physically big. And so why does carbon matter? You hear about carbon all the time, but at the crux of it, we're facing massive changes to the world due to increased temperatures. The IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, estimates that we are on a path from anywhere from 1.5 to three degrees Celsius warming of the world's temperature. That doesn't seem like a lot, But it's actually crazy. What that means is that we're going to see a higher frequency of things that we hate. Like, you know, no one's ever praying for floods, fires, and heat waves, but that's what we're going to have more of. Like, those events that they say, like, hey, it's a once in a 30 year, once in a 50 year event, that's just the probability. And so those events are going to happen more and more frequently. There's also going to be a huge impact on human migration as people move from their current climates, which is a disaster, (laughs) to new climates. One example of that is if you look at Bangladesh, it's one of the lowest countries in the, in the world and it's facing severe flooding and higher flooding over the past 10 to 20 years than it's ever seen ever before. And so some of those folks have to move to other locations because they're not going to actually have anywhere to live. I think the other part, and this is more for the American audience, is it's going to really add massive costs to everything. So think about the insurance for. Hurricane areas in Florida. It's just skyrocketing. We saw it with Hurricane Ian and we're seeing that with Hurricane Nicole. So, just massive costs that we're going to see. My favorite analogy of how to think about carbon, and Jeff, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I'll test this one out on you. But imagine that the earth is a bathtub and there's only so much water that that bathtub can physically hold. And so humans have been dumping carbon into the tub at such a rate that the tub is just overfilling. So imagine you're in the bathroom and you just see water splashing everywhere because you have this faucet on. And that faucet is humans dumping carbon into the atmosphere. So there's two parts to that problem. First thing is you need to stop overfilling the tub, which will mitigate the problem. So you're turning off the faucet, stopping carbon dioxide from entering the atmosphere. And then the second is we need to clean up all the stuff that's overfilled and also start draining the tub back to equilibrium, which is carbon removal. But that's like one of my favorite like visuals, just because I can visually like see like a, a tub and our need to actually start removing, but also turning off the carbon that's entering the atmosphere. But I'll pause there, Jeff. Any any feedback, any any thoughts? High level commentary? I've got commentary? a question. So yeah. it's
1: not like we're creating new carbon. It's that we're converting carbon from a, maybe a more like stable state to a state that we don't want, which is this like gaseous form. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a good way to think about it. So like, then that's a good point to bring up is carbon, not all carbon's bad. Carbon is like we eat carbon and that's what makes organic things. What we don't want is carbon in the atmosphere because it acts as a greenhouse gas. Mm-hmm. So picture it as like, you know, heating up a literal like greenhouse. And so the more carbon you have, the hotter it's going to get. Mm-hmm. So that's what we want is like, we want to avoid adding carbon to the atmosphere into the gases form.
1: Got it. Okay. And this is why things like, I guess, like, emitting the carbon back into the atmosphere is what is causing these issues. Not particularly that, it, like, you know, like you mentioned earlier, like, we're made of carbon, trees are made of carbon, like, trees have carbon in them, and even coal is, you know, carbon in a different form. Like those diamonds. things are, yeah, totally. those things are fine, right? Because they're not in a state that's going to cause, like, global warming, uh, like, ca- causing this particular greenhouse gas effect.
0: Exactly. In fact, like, we want more of those things. Like, I would love yeah. to see a huge market
1: for all of that. More then it's like, coal grills. <laughs>
0: no, more like, more <laughs> more, like more diamonds, like more diamonds, because you're like, then you actually have a source, because like, eventually we're gonna have a problem where like we're tr- we're gonna capture all this carbon that you're basically we're gonna have a rag that's gonna clean up all the carbon from the spilled onto the bathroom floor or the, the Earth's atmosphere, and we're not gonna know what to do with it. We can like blast it into space. We could turn it into something else that uses carbon. And so maybe we just turn it all into diamonds, which would be pretty cool. And we just bling everything out. But um, in all seriousness, how are we going to start to address like the two problems that I talked about, the turning off the faucet and cleaning up the mess? Ren is one of those solutions. And so uh, Ren is your quote, all in one climate subscription. So Ren has three big features as a company. So they, the first thing is they offer a calculator that I really love, like, it's a really easy to, you know, step-by-step questions like, hey, like, what's your diet? How much energy do you use? There's not, not how much energy, but what's your electric bill? Like things like that, simple to understand questions. And it gives you your actual carbon footprint through that handy tool. The second is once it knows what your carbon footprint is in terms of how many tons of carbon is it, they offer a monthly subscription subscription. That you can start to offset anywhere from like zero percent of your carbon emissions all the way up to one hundred percent and even more if you want to extend that back to like hey I want to remove all the carbon that my entire life has ever ever had so they offer that monthly subscription that goes to fund climate solutions and then the third piece that I really like about REN is they they're super transparent both on their corporate governance side where they publish all sorts of things that I'll get into later but they also offer really cool like details on your specific funds like hey you've donated x dollars to climate policy projects or you've donated x dollars to this project carbon conservation projects and you've offset 0.x tons of carbon so i love that they have that gamification tool um but to to pause there about like carbon footprint because it's Getting kind of nebulous for, for what carbon footprint actually means. But Jeff and I live in the U.S. So the range is pretty big. It depends on a ton of different factors like the size of your house. You know, bigger is worse with more emissions. Your car, if you drive electric like Jeff or gas like me, my carbon footprints can be worse because I have that gas car. There also is impacts to your diet. Meat will have an outsized impact on your individual climate emissions. So the more meat you eat, the higher carbon footprint you'll have. But in the U.S., like roughly speaking, it'll be anywhere from 10 to 20 tons of carbon dioxide per year, which is pretty crazy. So if you just visually think about that, like cubes of telephone poles, that's like massive, <laughs> you know, it's like a huge volume of gas that you've, you've created. But as I mentioned, you can choose to offset your car- carbon per- car- type You can choose to offset your carbon footprint. So REN is going to give you essentially a ton of different suggestions for, you know, do you want to do one eighth of your carbon footprint? Do you want to do half of your carbon footprint? Do you want to maybe just do one flight? And also give you like nice mental models to say, hey, if you offset a quarter of your carbon emissions, it's equivalent to X number of cross-country flights or X number of like people in a different country that has an average. So I love how they contextualize what the carbon impact is that you're offsetting. I currently am on a plan to offset about an eighth of my annual carbon emissions via REN, but I also haven't put all my eggs into one basket and I actually use a ton of other carbon offsetting tools as well. Um, but
1: Jeff, do you do any carbon offsetting or anything like this, or is it just me? I don't, and I was going to ask you about this. And I, I think the main thing we've talked about this in other episodes around sustainability in general, not just carbon offsetting, is that like it's hard for people to understand like why they care and they like obviously long-term like you can tell people all day like if you stop doing this uh, it's going to help you know all these certain things but uh, like what's easier for people is if you pair this with some other benefit and it becomes like a no duh or a why not benefit like i think we talked about this for beyond meat where you could if you ate plant-based meats and it tasted just like meat it costed the same as meat but it had benefits that were better than me, then you tell, tell yourself why not. Whereas now there's like, you're, you're making trade-offs. Um, and in this case, the trade-off is mostly like monetary trade-off. Um, totally. So I guess the question I'd ask you is that like, what does, I mean, this depends on everybody, but like roughly what does it cost to offset like an eighth of their, like someone's like annual carbon emissions?
0: So it, it depends. And this is where like the nuance gets like super like, I think this, the, the, the amount of nuance that's involved here will turn so many people off. Like the answer, there's no simple answer. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. you can buy really cheap credits that are essentially worthless. Where that's what, like, there's a whole John Oliver episode mm. that we can link into the show notes about how he just tore apart carbon credits. And that's basically for projects that aren't verified. They're not permanent. Yeah. Uh, they can't prove that, you know, and, and one example of that is you can pay someone to preserve an acre of forest in the Amazon. But you that that same person could then go right next door and just raise an acre of the Amazon to build their palm oil farm or whatever it is, and so like mm-hmm. it, you you essentially didn't save anything. You just yeah protect, protected that one specific thing. So. That's like a super cheap offset all the way to like a super expensive offset where you're actually sucking carbon from the air and then you're burying it into the ground. And there's carbon dioxide removal companies like Climbworks that are doing that. But that's super expensive where it'll be, I don't even know what the market prices are, but I think it's like thousands of dollars per ton of carbon. Um, I, I think the IPCC has normalized target costs anywhere from 100 to $300, depending on like where technology comes in for like a credible carbon offset. So that's generally how much you'll pay. So uh, in simple terms, like 1600 bucks per year is how much it would cost an American um, for like $100 on the low end carbon offset.
1: I guess my follow-up question here is that like, do you see any major differences between someone who is like maybe upper middle class versus someone who is like, like I guess like closer to lower class, I suppose. Like so I, I, the reason why I ask totally. this is, Normally, when you look at, let's say, like, just food health, you notice people that can't afford to eat organic or eat at Whole Foods can do that. But oftentimes, sometimes, like, the biggest offenders are people that can't afford that. And so they eat the cheaper foods that already are bad for, let's say, the environment or their health. And then couple that with they wouldn't be able to offset their own carbon footprint because they don't have the extra money to. So I guess that's the bigger question for me is, like, do we see that there's kind of this, like linear relationship between people that are producing the most carbon and also the people that are most likely or most in the position to be able to offset their own carbon? Or is there like kind of this like disproportionate or like mistargeting of like people that can afford it, that they have the extra cash that care about the environment can do this, but are they the people that's causing the most problem? is what I'm trying to figure out.
0: Yeah. So it is generally directly correlated. Like the Scientific American okay. published a study in 2019 where it's like that more you earn, the more carbon emissions you have. And think mm-hmm. about like most of the things that people that are higher income are like things of convenience. So think about like, like ordering flying. a, I, I'm just like trying to think of like an example. Like Yeah. Flying or just gigi- like buying
1: stuff. Yeah. Like buying totally. stuff and like flying. and Yeah. yeah and then if sense. you
0: think, if you think about people like that are like, you know, lower income, they're going to be higher chance to use public transportation. And so public mm, transportation is, cool. is like way better. So it, it is yeah. like directly correlated. And then, you know, there's all these folks that are starting to track actually like the super wealthy. So like, with Taylor Swift's of the world, I know she got a ton of flack for her carbon emissions from mm-hmm. her private aircraft that was flying her around and also her friends around. And I think that's what she said. It wasn't just me. It was like my my family and friends that were flying out, but mm-hmm. just a massive impact that that those types of activities have. So thankfully it is. But I I think like the, the, the question behind your question is like, what's the value that people are getting out of this? You're like, It's not necessarily like directly yeah. correlated to like the traditional benefit that you or I might be normally used to where it's like, hey, I bought this phone and I'm gonna get the ability to do X, Y, and Z from it. Mm-hmm. And so with this, like with your buying like the subscription to climate, like, what are you actually getting? And I think that definitely depends on like what person, <laughs> what type of person you are. For me is like I care deeply about this and I have a ton of like climate anxiety where it's like I need to do something about it and this is like I work in the climate space this is what I want to dedicate my career to so this is me being able to answer the question to myself like hey I'm doing my part to do this but I get your point of like you know for the average person like would they actually sign up for a service like this
1: yeah I guess like for me like the main things that come to mind is like I would do this however like what I what I put into this is like some dollar value. And then what I get out of it is this like intrinsic. I'm helping the environment, but it's hard for someone to feel that like I won't even call it like instant gratification, but like it's hard for me to know what that gratification looks like. And I think that's where I'm I'm like struggling a bit. And I'm assuming that's where a lot of people struggle. Where totally. Which is like I I putting my dollars towards this, but what does this actually mean? Like, and I think it it obviously hurts the I guess the overall. Uh, A campaign around this or whatever where like you can't see carbon emissions right like you just see kind of the effects the downstream effects and you kind of ask yourself how much of my direct impact actually changes some of the things it's like this is always like macro trend kind of thing where it's hard for one person to feel like they're making change but until you convince those people that it's like something you need to do then then you'll start to see the effects right um similar things like voting for example or any sort of like macro trend
0: yeah. Uh, it's like the ultimate tragedy of the commons problem where it's like, why should mm-hmm. I care? You know, it's like, I can't do anything about it. It's like someone else owns it. And I feel like with carbon emissions, it's been an externality for so long where like, no one's paid for it. And now like we're finally like, paying the prices for it. I think ultimately what's going to happen is like, it's going to take severe disasters, specifically in the US, like for people to actually open their eyes where it's like, Hey, I'm having a wildfire in California every two months. You know, yeah. and it's like, That used to happen like once every 10 years or it's if you're in Kentucky and it's like, oh, like, why am I having tornadoes here? Like we used to never have tornadoes or where I am in like upstate New York and Rochester. It's going to be like, (laughs) you know, winter never came. That's like we never saw snow this year, which is which is crazy. And then you're going to start asking the questions of like, huh, like, why is that? So I think it's going to because people have to see it to believe it, unfortunately. So I I feel like that's going to be. At least to get the masses, like something. I feel like something bad's going to happen for people to actually start to really pay attention to it. I think we're we started to see like a ton of momentum with people caring and like want to do better. But I think to your point, it's just like it's hard to directly assign that value. You know what I mean?
1: One way I think about this is that like you can do less of the bad thing. So if somebody told me, "Hey, every time you fly, or I have this like constant tracker, I can do less of that." In this case, this is like. Uh, asking for forgiveness in a way so like you do it but then you like pay for things that can offset it the only trouble here is that you don't get to see and this is where you're talking about like the low cost credits like you don't get to see them plant the trees and you don't get to see how much the tree helps and like there's so many other things it's really hard to know like the roi that you get out of it and i think that's the trouble where like totally it doesn't feel unfortunately like at the micro level it doesn't feel super measurable To a degree of accuracy where people are comfortable saying, oh, I'm going to do this thing. So I think that's what's hard. And then this is why on the other end of this spectrum, like people are lobbying for like macro change. Like the government should just do this thing, right? So like we should pay like as part of our taxes, uh, you know, the government contributes to these programs and we do it at the macro level. And they kind of take care of it as like a utility for it's just like a government service for everybody. And that's where there's a lot of, there's friction. obviously a lot of debate, <laughs> <For> yeah, <sure. laughs> friction around it too. But I think it's kind of the same thing. I think that it's just hard to do at the micro level. And then like, even if you get like a lot of people to do at the micro level, you're just covering your portion of this where like earlier, like I mentioned, you have people that are disproportionately, I mean, maybe they're not affecting as much, but like they will still have some carbon footprint and they can't or probably won't be able to offset it. Right. So totally. I think that's where it's like, it's a little difficult because like. You almost have to do more than your fair share if you're an individual, yeah, um, to be able to like get to that total offset. And I think that's Not really only do, hard.
0: Totally. Not only do problem. you have to atone for your sins, but you have to atone for like yeah. seven more people's sins, like around you. I think right. it's like I think w- where we're at now is like we're past like the early adopters. Like just looking at this mm-hmm. from like, the adoption scale, and like we're starting to like get into like just like the you know higher up in the curve, and more people are interested in this. And I think we have to kind of have this climate space move forward and kind of just drag people with us. And that those individuals making these actions to say, yes, I'm going to offset mine, start to build a critical mass for these big projects. And because part of like, and this is like a good segue into the business model. So Ren's approach is offering essentially a portfolio that you can invest in. And they Mm -hmm. offer four projects within that portfolio. The first is tree planting. The second is conservation. The third is technology. And the fourth is policy. So for like the fourth if you, and you can actually choose like how much of your monthly investment goes into which part and so if you invest it all into policy like maybe your mental model is hey, that's the number one thing that we need to do like I'm Jeff Lee and I can't really do a part, but I want to invest in the dollars to make sure that we can influence the government to to mm-hmm. do those activities. So that's where I think you start to create this like flywheel and just momentum around pushing climate change initiatives forward. but yeah, totally hear you where it's like hard to directly correlate that benefit but I think it's like I think we're starting to see like the slow mass and slow flywheel of people going through. But with REN's portfolio approach and their business model. So one thing that I actually really love about REN is that they're super transparent. They actually publish their all their employees' salaries, including the CEO, as well as they have a public roadmap and they have a Notion page highlighting basically receipts of all where all the money went. So for every dollar that gets put into your subscription, Ren takes a 20% cut. I think they say that anywhere from like zero to 5% is for transaction fees. And then the the remaining 15% is really just for growing the business and for overhead. And they publish with a pie chart showing exactly how much they've spent on every single different um, part of their business, which I love that transparency. I think that's the only way to get trust. Cause I think that mm-hmm. it's yeah. going to be super easy to like burn trust here with like with people. Yeah. When um, you put your money in a black hole, it's hard to know. Like, yeah. Yeah. Especially cause like people are already skeptical of like getting that direct benefit to say, Hey, yeah. like where is my money going? Or like, how am I getting this offset or how am I getting this benefit? And then I think Ren's doing a really good job of just half of its education to say, Hey, Hey, these are all the things that we can do, and there's a continuum in a spectrum. Some of like the portfolio projects that currently run lists include projects like biochar in California, mineral weathering in Scotland, tech-enabled rainforest project- protection, clean cooking fuel for refugees, community tree planting, clean air task force, and this company called Carbon 180, or this effort rather called Carbon 180. A lot of that might not mean anything to most of our audience, but biochar is pretty interesting where you basically can accelerate how much carbon the soil can absorb by spreading char over it um, is a gross oversimplification of it. And same thing with of mineral weathering, where you can put like rock, like crushed basalt over forests, and that will actually increase the carbon intake of forests. And that's measured. Um, and then the last thing that I'll say about the business models, actually, like they published their contributions like over the past three years since January 2019 or mid 2019 when they started and you can actually sort by month and hover over how much each dollar went to to conservation or to tech or to any of their four hubs the tree planting conservation policy or tech so I thought that was really cool and I think it kind of answers the question of like where is the money going because I think to your point Jeff of like how do you actually capture that like monthly you know not monthly but direct value it's like Mm -hmm is a, is an open question and I think Ren's really trying hard to address that, especially when their dashboard product where I'm looking at it on my screen where you can see your specific impact, um how many tons that you've funded to offset, um, how many actions that you've taken and what your reach is. So I think they they're trying to gamify like the amplification to to get the flywheel going. But I'll I'll pause there because that was a, a big a big filibuster by me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, awesome. Thanks for um, dump diving into that. I think as somebody from the outside looking in, like, there's a lot of tough questions that I'm sure get thrown your way around like, what's in it for me? And um, how can we think about where the problem areas are? If you ask somebody in the street, I mean, there are some people that don't believe it, but if you ask someone in the street, like, do you think it's better to protect the environment? Generally, you would get yes, but that, then the hard part is like, how and like what is actually tangible or what's feasible for them to do? And then the next part is like, okay, even if they did agree to... Let's say like I want to commit X amount of dollars every month, like what does that actually mean? What does it do? And is it actually going to in the step-up plan going to cover the carbon emissions? Like you're saying like are you going to get enough to where you like, you know, equalize the tub in a, in some ways. But diving into the history of the product. So this is really cool because I think we're talking about like this groundswell of um climate change efforts. Like I think it's going to be led by the next generation. So Ren was founded by three folks: Landon Brand, Ben Stanfield, and Mimi's Trans Zambetti. Um, the three of them met while they're at USC, and uh, Brand was a software engineering student. Stanfield was kind of like he was his roommate and kind of like the design person. And Zambetti also joined the trio as like she started wanting to do physical hardware, but switched to software, realizing how quickly one could build products. I read uh, I read in one article she led like the first women's only hackathon. Uh, at at the university so there's definitely like cause for a lot of these sort of uh, like programs that they know are going to help the environment i think you know they're they're very much in the gen z space i think they're like 20 to 22 Um, but i think that's kind of where we're going to need the biggest push is like this next generation of folks that have grown up knowing that climate change is an issue i think when we were growing up this was like starting to become a thing like i know In Georgia, like recycling wasn't a big thing. Like it wasn't a common practice. And so moving from Georgia to California, that was like you see it everywhere. It's a very common thing, right? Everyone does it. Uh, there's composting things. So I think like environment and ecosystem play a pretty big part in this. And I would like to think that younger generations that have grown up with this concept, uh, are much more aware about it and much more aware about the benefits of it. And it becomes more of like a cultural norm than it is like this. Like it's harder to convince people to do something different. And I think if people grew up with this idea of like, oh, recycling is just a thing I do, then you don't have to pull teeth as much to do it. That's just one example. But just even the thought of like climate change and thinking about how uh, the next generation, like the Gen Z folks are moving into positions of decision-making power, they are going to have an opportunity to kind of influence things like technology, policy, culture, et cetera, to get more people to do this this sort of thing. So I think that's why... Um, I'm really excited that it was like these three young folks that, for better or for worse, like haven't been told no before, like don't really understand, might not understand all the nuances, but like at the same time can kind of push for like why not. Um, Yeah. And and that's like, that's a really powerful thing. Um, They originally started on HR software. That was like kind of their first uh, startup idea to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, But their main concern was that it was going to take them like over a decade to see any real benefit out of this. And they wanted to kind of move on something a little bit quicker. And then they kind of switched to, climate change, like climate awareness overall. And they started with a vegan cloud kitchen, (laughs) Mm. uh, which I thought was really interesting. So they tried to like do this cloud kitchen concept out of one of the dorms for about two weeks, but they realized that that also didn't scale very well. And they finally kind of researched and pivoted to carbon offsets, which is what Ren does today. They were actually a Y Combinator participant. I think in 2019, I I know that's at least when they launched and they've got some funding from Y Combinator as well. So 2019 was kind of around the time that they launched the product. Um, And then the three of them have made Forbes 30 under 30 in in 2021. So that kind of gives you an idea of like who's behind this, I guess, idea of REN um, and kind of the archetype of folks that we kind of need to lead the charge in terms of getting more people to buy into the idea of uh, carbon offsets.
0: Yeah, for sure. And normally here we would talk about who the product is for (laughs) and product explain and thinking about who REN is for. It's like, I think going back to your initial question of like, what's the direct value? And it's like, I think this is tricky because it is the tragedy of the commons problem. But at the end of the day, this is real costs that pe- – this is like real carbon that people are emitting with their everyday activities that has to be paid somehow. So eventually someone's going to foot that bill. So it's mm-hmm. like you almost like have this cost and you just like have to pay it. But I think people's psychology doesn't work that way. Like, yeah. And I think there's a, a ton of studies that are showing – large amounts of climate anxiety, like that's actually an actual like term now. So like now, like this is like interesting of like folks that are on that like bandwidth of like care super passionately about si- climate, but it also gives me a ton of anxiety. This could be a way for you to actually address that anxiety directly and say, oh, thankfully I can do my part now. You know, it's where it's before, as before, like you felt helpless, but I'm sure on the other on the end of the continuum, we might have someone that doesn't care at all. And it's like, what can I do? Or I don't even care. And so it's not really for them. So I think it's it's interesting, but what I love like overall is just, again, like Wren's transparency. Like I'm looking at their website now. They show their milestones for when they hit like $3 million sent to climate projects around the world back in June 2022. And they just hit like 100,000 acres of indigenous land reclaimed in Amazon this past November, as well as $4 million sent to climate projects around the world in November. So I think seeing those big milestones and you're part of something bigger. So I think that's another... Mm-hmm. It's hard to like, assign like a direct value of like what you're getting, but I think it's almost just like in today's world of like social media and sharing. It's like, hey, I'm part of this movement, and yeah. I think Ren gives a really cool opportunity to to be part of it.
1: Yeah, I wonder if they can take like a Kickstarter like model out of this, where everyone contributes and they get something back. As sometimes like what they get back isn't necessarily like one to one what they expect the value to be, but it could be a token of like the broader project. So it's like, oh, you get recognition, or you get something that doesn't necessarily cost the Hundred dollars that you put in, but we're using that hundred dollars towards this larger campaign, and you know you're part of it. So that could be another model that maybe they've they've thought about a bit. But one thing to mention is that Ren isn't the only company that's in this space. Um, there's TerraPass, which I think has been one of the longer standing carbon offset type companies. Native Energy, uh, Three Degrees, My Climate, Zopful, and then is this Carbon Checkout or Karen? I think this is Carbon Checkout. It's the one I wrote earlier. Yeah. Zopeful
0: is like the other one that I actually really, really like in terms of competitor. I actually, they come off as super Gen Z and more of like a, it's basically like the way I got hooked onto Zopeful is like Zopeful will send you an email that's a three day course, or I think it's a five day, it might be a three day course, but Mm. it's an X day course and you get a long form email that's really well written with really good copy explaining like why you're like, why this is important. And then at, at, the end of the course is like one say, Hey, like if you want to do something about it, you can actually purchase offsets as part of like Zopful's like trends. And I think one thing that Zopful does a little bit better than Ren is actually be explicit about the costs of like technology projects in the portfolio breakdown. It was actually kind of hard for me to break down like the explicit like dollar value per ton of carbon in Ren's portfolio where with Zopful, it was like very explicit, but this is where it gets sound to me. is like, I have like multiple eggs in the, the basket where I actually up like all of all the people that you, all the competitors that you just listed, I subscribe to like four or or five of them. Nice. Um, Yeah. Just because I want to try out the customer experience, but also um, I think it's going to take a variety of different projects. I think no, I think no carbon or climate solution is a bad solution. I think we just need to, we're past the point of optimizing, you know, we just need everyone's attention on this problem. So, but I'm I'm happy to give my thoughts. Like Ren is going to give, a very high score for me but I'm very biased cuz I care deeply about this. It's not quite a perfect product, but I'm going to call this a 4.9. Um I love the overall like transparency from the leadership team and what they're doing. They're even a legally binding public benefit corporation, a PBC, which makes you legally aligns them to their corporate mission, which is really fascinating. And also where I dock points from Ren is that I couldn't find that dollar, like the explicit dollars per ton cost. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's coming future in the roadmap because they actually published their public roadmap. But in like the hour, two hours that I spent prepping for this episode, I couldn't like easily find that dollar cost of like, hey, like this technology costs $800 and per carbon and this blah costs $20 per per ton of carbon. But maybe that's intentional as well. And maybe I'm just too far into the weeds. But yeah, 4.9 for me, kudos to the, to the rent team for what they're, what they're building.
1: Nice. Yeah. I'm someone who, as you guys probably heard earlier in the episode, is someone who's like more um, outside of the loop in terms of um, carbon, I guess, carbon offsetting. Uh, So this is definitely a new space for me. I think I'm going to give Ren like a 4.3. I think what I really appreciate is one that they're thinking about various ways for people to contribute. They're thinking about like you, you mentioned transparency is a big issue. And I also like that it's led by folks that is probably well within the target demographic. Um, So they probably understand the people that want to really contribute towards this effort a lot. I think where I'm struggling a little bit is, and maybe this is where there are people like you, Mike, who are like, have made their life mission around sustainability versus uh, other folks that are like, need to be in the know. I think it's hard, like right now, it's hard for me to grasp one, like individual people making the change versus like the policy level change. And, but I also like that you mentioned that you can contribute some of your funds towards that, or like, totally say, "Oh, I want to all my funds to to contribute towards that." I guess one analogy I'll kind of give is that like, if there's a pothole in your road, I wouldn't think about like putting money in like a fund to do this. I would just think about like, "Oh, my taxes go towards this." So it needs to be it needs to be just like automatic, and it needs to somebody needs to take care of it, and it needs to happen. I mean, obviously, the only trouble with that is that. Um, you don't know how those funds are managed. I mean, that's just like part of the government as well. So I like that you already mentioned that there's um, some transparency here and that's you know definitely a big, big part of what I'd be looking for. So yeah, I think a 4.3 for me.
0: Awesome. Well, as you can see, I expected this to be a 20 minute episode and it was like 35 minutes. <laughs> but thanks <laughs> for bearing with us if you've made it this far. But I'm super passionate about this. I think it's the most important issue that our generation's facing and super excited to spread the word. There's also a referral link for this. Um, if you go to Ren, dot uh, co backslash join backslash Mike Alcazarin you actually get a referral code I think they'll plant an extra tree I can correct this in the show notes afterwards but um, I care less about me getting this specific like referral code but more so about individual people joining REN so go check out REN even if you can't use my referral code but that's a really cool software product an offsetting product that you can do to start immediately addressing your carbon footprint today But those are our thoughts on Ren, and we'd love to hear from your audience. We love all the engagement that we get from folks on Twitter and Instagram. The Instagram messages have been great lately. I love engaging and waking up and chatting with folks about our most recent episode. So let us know um, what you thought about this episode, as well as if you want us to do future episodes. And even we're also going to do a season two pretty soon. We're going to experiment with some interviews. So if there's someone that you really want to interview on this episode, please let us know. You can reach out to us at Products Podcast. That's P-R-O-D-E-X podcast.
1: Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.